0: everybody, this is Joanna Schaffner-Scott, and you are listening to the Race in the Workplace podcast, a show for DEI organizational leaders that explores race, racism, and racial equity in the workplace. I am a racial equity consultant and founder of the Staley Street Consulting Group, a consulting firm that specializes in partnering with organizations to help them meet their racial equity aspirations. My goal for you is to move your organization from being colorblind to equity-centered Through sustainable step by step changes. Hi, it's Joanna Schaffner Scott here. I am so excited to be with you today. Thank you for allowing me to join you in your day, no matter when you're listening. This is the first episode of season two of the podcast. And this season, I'm going to focus on leadership and the opportunities, strengths, and challenges to maintaining racial equity as a practice. I am really excited to bring you this season, which will be a mix of solo episodes for me and a set of really amazing guests with great stories to tell. All right. So in this second season, focusing on leadership, I want to start with the DEI role. In this week's episode of Race in the Workplace, I want to explore a core question that I'm seeing more often. And in this episode, I want to explore three questions. The first question is Why do organizations of every type ask for 10 years of experience when hiring DEI professionals? So I'm really intrigued by this question. A second question that I'm going to explore in this episode is given the newness of the DEI role, do practitioners actually have this kind of experience coming into new roles? And lastly, is this kind of experience requirement excluding capable professionals? from the opportunities that can be found in these kinds of roles. So I am curious about these questions and I want to spend some time with you today unpacking them. So let's start with the core question. Why do organizations of all types ask for 10 years of DEI experience? So as I noted, this question intrigues me. I've seen this a few times come up on LinkedIn. So I thought, I wanna think about this some more And I want to potentially add to the conversation around experience requirements. So in giving this some thought, I organized my thoughts around this into three areas. One is capacities. The second is DEI-specific certifications that you can get. And the third is specialties. So I want to draw a little bit from my experience and a little bit from what I know from experiences that I've had supporting organizations in their search for these kinds of roles. And hopefully this will help give some context to the question around experience requirements. All right, let's get into it. This first part of the podcast, I want to direct what I'm about to say to organizational HR departments who hire for these kinds of positions. Because I think anytime an organization is hiring for DEI specific roles, It's important to frame those kinds of decisions around an organizational why. In short, what do you want this function to accomplish? And you'll notice I talk about it initially from an organizational perspective using functions. Anthony Armstrong and I talk about this in episode eight of season one of the podcast. And so I want to play a little bit of our conversation here where I make that distinction between role and function. And I think one way to remedy that is to think about DEI, the DEI role as a function. So in other words, all of these things, all of these tasks that typically get signed to a DEI director or VP or there should be some resources that come with that that are attached to that function and that 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 person can utilize whether it's consultants whether it's staff whatever it is but it's this idea of setting someone out on an island in a relatively newly created position with little to no resources to solve these huge systemic problems which feels incredibly unfair and inequitable in a lot of ways function is always going to be my starting place from function comes roles and from roles come jobs. That's the way I think about it. So I would encourage HR hiring departments to really think about it from that perspective because the answer to the function question can be where specific capacities and skills are defined and defined more clearly. So I wanna draw a little bit from the work I do to give a little bit of an example of this. So in my work, I spend a good 75% of my time on organizational development. Yes, you heard that right. I spend about 75% of my time with clients inside organizations, helping them develop systems, policies, and practices to do their work more equitably. So what does that mean? That means that I am looking at how organizations work, how they function, and what racial equity looks like in their everyday practices and their everyday functioning, both in terms of their internal systems, internal decision-making processes, policies, and internal team dynamics. It took me a really long time (laughs) to figure out that I spend a lot of my time doing things that it's not necessarily intuitive that you would expect from a racial equity consultant. So yeah, it took me a really long time to figure these out. Yet, these are the things that create differential experiences at work across dimensions of identity. So I started off my career doing a lot of training. I used to do a lot of training. I'll talk about this more in a second. And then I realized, wait a second, there are elements missing from what I'm doing in my approach. And that in order for training to be sticky, that a lots of times there's organizational development that needs to happen before that training step. Like I said, it took me a while to figure this out. So with that being said, the first capacity that that I believe is important to bring to DEI roles is the one around organizational development and having an understanding of organizational systems, how they work together, how often they don't work together how privilege works inside organizations and those kinds of things. So that's the first capacity I want to leave you with that I think is really important and that is around having an understanding of organizational development. Okay, now I want to talk about the second capacity. As I mentioned a second ago, earlier in my career I did a lot of training and some follow-up coaching. As I've grown in my job, I spend less time doing that. There's a space for that in my work for sure, but it's not a huge space. I love it, but it's kind of like the same way I love candy. I love a good cold Milky Way bar, but I can't eat so many of them because I'll feel sick afterwards. So I enjoy eating them up until the point I know I'm really going to regret this if I keep eating all this candy. So that's how I feel about training. Like I love it. I love working with people. I love seeing people get it, but It's emotionally very taxing for me. So I do it very strategically, but I think the capacity to be able to put together a training is very important in a DEI function. So I borrowed some from my past experience. I used to teach as an adjunct for eight years at the university level, teaching graduate and undergraduate classes and being able to put together a syllabus Is very similar to being able to put together a training plan. And for me, that meant digging deeper in a couple of areas. One was around adult learning, and the second is around curriculum design. So, because I've had that experience and putting together a curriculum in an academic setting, I use those same skills to put together a curriculum for training, especially if I'm doing multiple trainings with a very clear arc. In other words, understanding where I need the people who are participating in those sessions, where I need them to land. So that's an important skill to have is to put together training rooted in clear learning objectives. And you'll see that through line reflected in my in-person training, virtual training, and online courses. All of that comes from prior teaching experience. And I think I've said a couple of times before because I've had a whole other career, actually two other careers, I draw from that a lot in my work now as a racial equity consultant. So, we've talked about the first capacity, which is around an understanding of organizational development. The second capacity is the ability to be able to put together a training and design the curriculum around that. And the third capacity that I want to talk about is expanding your own learning. So, this is really, for me, has been critical in my own growth as a consultant and I'll bring it around to the DEI role. So expanding my own learning, I do that in a couple of different ways. One is skill-based, the other is content-based. So I'm gonna talk about the skill-based learning first. So when I say skill-based, that means improving my skills as a practitioner. When I started doing this work for a national organization many years ago, I didn't know how to put together a meeting. I mean, I knew how to put together an agenda. Like if my staff is meeting or my team is meeting, I could put together that kind of agenda. But to be able to put together a meeting agenda for an organization, a group, a client, With a specific set of objectives, a specific arc, and a specific landing place, I had no idea how to do that. So I had to learn how to do that, and I had to learn how to facilitate meetings and hard conversations. And that didn't come organically, and I didn't learn that from prior work experience. I didn't learn that at university. And even though I'm very comfortable in front of people and talking to people, I'm comfortable behind this mic. I'm comfortable with public speaking. I didn't know how to facilitate and move meetings forward or navigate hard racial conversations. I didn't know how to manage group dynamics and all of that stuff. So I had to learn that. And how I learned that was I invested in a workshop offered by the Interaction Institute for Social Change called The fundamentals of facilitation for racial justice work, which gave me the fundamentals of being able to facilitate meetings and handle hard racialized conversations. And over time, I've added to those skills. So, as I said, one was skill based. And so that was the skill based component. And the other is content based. So, the content piece comes in when I'm doing my everyday work with a client. So, for me, this is a ton of reading and now podcasts. So, for example, I was doing work in the reproductive sector and in doing that work, it's always important, at least for me, to find what are those foundational works that help explain the racialized context of that particular sector. Every sector is racialized and usually someone has written a great book or recorded a podcast series to talk about it. And so to support the RJ work I was doing, I read two pivotal books. One was called Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington. The other was Killing the Black Body by Dorothy E. Roberts. And those are foundational books if you're doing that type of work. And because it's sector-based, it's place-based and historical, all which intersect in the work I do, having that understanding is really important. The other piece that I would add to that is because I believe very strongly that organizations are not race-neutral, that's one of my favorite quotes by Victor Ray from the piece, Why Organizations Stay So White, and I'll link to it in the show notes, that narrative tends to play out in organizations if not unchecked. So it's helpful to understand the racialized history of the sector you're in and how that could be playing out in organizations. So when we think about the capacities, I believe these three are critical. And I'm talking about, in this episode, more of the client-facing work. And really, honestly, there's a whole other business side to this. Maybe I'll do another episode around that. But for now, I want to keep on digging into why organizations ask for 10 years of experience. So these are the capacities that I feel like I use the most. And they may be different than what you're thinking a particular role may be. And they may be different than what organizations are advertising for or asking for, rather, in their job descriptions. That's why having an understanding, and this is from the organizational perspective, of function is so important. Because if there's an expectation of a DEI professional to conduct internal trainings, then that training piece I described is critical. It's very important. You will struggle in your job if you don't have it. And so that's why that function piece is so important. I want to move into the second area that I want to talk about in the podcast, and that is DEI-specific certifications. So in preparation for this episode, I scanned a few job descriptions and requirements of certification programs. I did see the 10 years number come up a good bit, and I saw one certification requirement. I want to start by saying, I don't have that kind of certification. I mean, I have advanced education, but I don't have a DEI-specific certification. Asking for certification doesn't surprise me because I think companies want to know that you as a practitioner have a certain set of competencies. Personally, I think all education really says about us as individuals is that you are teachable and that you have a certain set of competencies to do a certain thing. I say that in full recognition of my own privilege as a highly educated person. But nonetheless, I do think that's like the goal of these certification programs. I also think that before committing to any certification program, that it's a good idea to have an understanding of what your day-to-day role would look like. And if the learning objectives of the certification program that you're interested in aligns with what you're most likely to be doing every day. Does the program teach organizational development, curriculum design, meeting facilitation, navigating hard conversations, organizational systems? Is it teaching you the content that you'll need to do the job? The work I do is not theoretical. I am in there every day with organizations and there are a set of skills that help me do that. And so I would encourage anybody who's looking at a certificate program to think about what are the tangibles that you're going to get from the program. And let me also say, I'm only speaking from my experience. So my experience is not a principle for everyone else. I'm just sharing some of the things that are most common in my work and also common among folks on the Stamey Street team. So for example, every person on my team, all of our consultants, we have had careers before we became racial equity consultants. We all have experiences leading racial equity inside organizations. We all have work experience that includes successive degrees of responsibility inside organizations. All of these things help us do our work and be effective in client space. So that's going to be important as you look at DEI experiences and roles is what can you bring from your prior work experiences into this new role? Because I know for me, a lot of these past employment situations that I've been in, they help me every day, whether it's something that shouldn't happen, Or something that should happen. But either way, I would say just be really clear on if you're going to explore certification, be sure that you talk to folks who are doing the work and that what you're going to get from it is reflective of what kind of work you either are going to be doing or you'll want to do down the line. See where folks really spend their time. Okay, Now that we've talked about capacities and certifications, I want to talk a little bit about specialties. So I want to talk about specializing a little bit. And this is, again, it comes all the way back to function, where we started. I think it's critical to decide where you're going to specialize and if you're going to specialize. And this is an important part of the episode. So if you are multitasking, come back to me. My advice or my opinion is that you need to decide what kind of DEI professional you will be. So in my case, I call myself a racial equity consultant. Lately, I've been calling myself a DEI practitioner because that's what people recognize. But if I were just to describe myself, if I'm just talking about myself, I would call myself a racial equity consultant. My expertise is in race. And what that means is organizations who hire me are hiring me because I have expertise in how race and racism impact the employee experience in the workplace. So if clients come to me and they want to explore issues around disability, age, or gender, I'm referring you because those are not my areas of expertise. Now, what I can offer is an approach that centers on race while we explore the intersection with different dimensions of identity, but my work will always center race first. So if you see an ad for a DEI role, ask yourself, is it looking for a generalist or is it looking for a specialist? So in my experience, most organizations are looking for generalists because they want someone who knows a little bit about a lot. And it's important to be clear on why your experience and your expertise is there. But I think it's important to decide, and I think you can decide this at any point in your career whether or not you're going to specialize. And I also think that sometimes the journey makes that decision for you. At least for me, I didn't necessarily explicitly decide that. That's just kind of how my work happened. But again, not making a principle of my experience for everybody, but just sharing a little bit from my own journey. All right, so now I want to pivot and I want to talk about what organizations really mean when they're asking for 10 years experience. Okay, let's dig into it even more. The chief DEI officer is a relatively new role having emerged within the last five years or so. So returning to an earlier question, if the prevalence of the role is only about five years or so, how can organizations ask for 10 years of experience? So what I see within the ask of 10 years of DEI experience is organizations are generally looking for a C suite level person who can lead a team, who has experience with departmental budgeting, experience with hiring, training, and who has led a change management process in more than one organization. Generally, that's what that means. And the longer you do this work, if you stay at it, the better you become. So, an organization looking for 10 years of experience is looking for demonstrated leadership, and they're looking for demonstrated examples of change management. Okay, circling back to one of my initial questions, do these kinds of requirements exclude capable applicants? I think that organizations are trying to ensure that people know what they're doing, but I also know that education itself doesn't necessarily offer that. It doesn't necessarily provide that because lots of people are educated and don't know what they're doing. So I do think The experience requirement is a way to guarantee some kind of competency, although I don't know that that's necessarily the best way. I think the best way is to ask for examples of demonstrated leadership, leading change efforts, leading specific initiatives, leading a change management process. In my opinion, these are better metrics because you can have five years experience and you've led change management in three organizations. Or maybe you were employed by the organizations. Maybe you were contracts and you helped support those initiatives. So I think that it's possible to have less than 10 years experience and have led change management and have led specific initiatives. I think my guidance for organizations would be, be clear and specific about what you need. Again, that goes back to function, which is where I started this episode. Okay. Here's the rub. Often organizations don't fully know what they need. So this is something I've experienced myself. I think that there are practitioners with that level of experience. There are people that have 10 years experience for sure. I also think it's most important to have a realistic idea of what this work entails so that if you're spending your time and money on certifications, you're doing it in a way that's going to help you advance toward the roles you want. And for organizations, I think it's helpful to be crystal clear about what you need in terms of DEI as a function because there are many of us who have lots of experience, right? But we don't necessarily all have experience in doing everything. So that is important for organizations to tease out in their hiring process. And the guidance that I would suggest for folks who want to move in those kinds of roles that I described earlier is to think about the capacities that I've listed in terms of what I do. That's what I do. And that's what I see the most often in terms of organizational needs, because the other pieces of the work, the training, all of that sort of stuff needs a platform to sit on. So that means maybe doing some deeper work. There's nothing wrong with spending time doing training, not at all. That's one feature of the work. Some of us do a lot of it. I don't, but some of us do. And so it's important to think about the skills that you bring as a practitioner and also whether or not those skills align with what's being asked of by organizations. I hope this episode was helpful as you consider DEI experience requirements in your own journey. All right. Until next time, take care. That's this week's episode of Race in the Workplace. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with a friend who may be a DEI professional who can use these strategies in their work. My hope for the podcast is that it reaches every person who needs it. Until next time, take care.